Welcome to the Confluence Investment Asset Allocation Weekly Podcast. I'm Phil Adler, and I'm joined by Confluence Investment Management Market Strategist Patrick Fearon Hernandez. The Asset Allocation Weekly Report dated August 7, 2020, considers the impact of state and local government spending on the overall health of the economy. Patrick, when we look broadly at the issue of government spending and its impact on the overall economy, how do we compare in the United States to other countries? Well, the most common way, Phil, that you compare government spending across countries is to measure total public sector outlays, so national, regional, and local combined as a share of the country's GDP. By that measure, U.S. government spending is at the low end of the uh, major developed countries. Total public cash outlays in the U.S. amount to roughly 38% of GDP in recent years, versus, say, 56% in France and 53% in Finland. Similar relationship holds for the share of government revenues compared to GDP. Uh, Americans like to complain about the size of their government, but these comparisons make it clear that it could be a lot worse. In the end, though, it's important to remember that total public sector cash outlays give a distorted view of government's contribution to GDP growth. Total cash outlays include lots of transfer payments, which don't go into the calculation of GDP. They're captured when the recipient spends them. To calculate government's contribution to GDP growth in any particular year, you only consider the amount spent by government agencies on what we term consumption and investment. Can we say, Patrick, that this contributor to GDP tends to get overlooked, especially in the United States? Well, it sure does, which is kind of strange when you consider how visible it is to the average person. State and local government spending is what pays for the police officers patrolling your streets, investigating crimes and arresting bad guys. It pays for the clerk in the county recorder's office who registers your house so you can have confidence in your property rights. It pays for firefighters, ambulance drivers, new roads and road maintenance crews, new schools and teachers and the like. Over the long run, these activities tend to promote investment and economic growth by providing public goods that the free market usually isn't very good at. In the short run, their contribution to GDP comes from state and local government spending on goods and services, but it is easy to overlook that. And and why is it so easy to overlook? Well, a key reason is that other components of GDP are bigger or tend to have bigger swings up and down, which means they often have a larger impact on GDP. Uh, In 2019, for example, personal consumption spending accounted for almost 68% of U.S. GDP. Corporate investment, on the other hand, in 2019 only accounted for about 14% of GDP, but in past business cycles, it has fluctuated dramatically, so it has tended to have a major impact on GDP growth rate. In contrast, state and local government spending typically accounts for a more modest share of the economy with relatively muted volatility. So state and local spending is a relatively modest part of the picture, although it's certainly not insignificant. Where does state and local government spending stand today as a percentage of of overall U.S. economic activity? Well, in 2019, uh, before all the disruptions with the 
coronavirus pandemic, total federal, state, and local government spending on consumption investment totaled a bit less than 20% of GDP. But state and local spending alone accounted for only about 12% of GDP, so about an eighth of the economy. Again, that's relatively modest, but it's not insignificant, especially over the last decade. And has this percentage been holding steady in recent years? State and local government spending was gradually becoming a larger share of the economy until the great financial crisis of 2008-2009, when it reached a peak of 13% of GDP. In the aftermath of the crisis, however, state and local agencies faced a steep decline in sales taxes corporate and individual income taxes, property taxes, and fees, so they were forced to slash spending. With the slow pace of the recovery afterwards, their spending as a share of GDP continued to decline gradually right up to the onset of the uh, coronavirus crisis. Well, let's, let's talk about the coronavirus crisis. How is the pandemic impacting today state and local government spending? Well, the pandemic is a serious threat to state and local government budgets all over the country. Just as in the wake of the great financial crisis a decade ago, the virus lockdowns and people's self-isolation behaviors have decimated state and local sales taxes, income taxes, and fees. Many state and local governments are still finalizing their budgets for the new fiscal year or haven't yet published full details, so it's hard to know exactly what their spending plans will be. But all indications are that many will have to cut spending dramatically. Remember, most state and local governments are required to balance their budget, so the big drop in revenues almost certainly will force some spending cuts, especially if there's insufficient financial assistance from the federal government. Is there a precedent, Patrick, where a steep drop in state and local government spending erased direct federal stimulus? Yes, indeed. As I just mentioned, the big revenue decline after the great financial crisis forced state and local governments to slash their spending and uh, then to keep that spending low and only slowly rebounded strongly uh, for years. As a result, the federal stimulus spending in the immediate post-crisis years was essentially canceled out by the spending cuts at the state and local level. On a year-over-year basis, falling state and local spending was enough to cancel out any increased federal spending in every quarter from late 2010 to late 2012. Then, when the federal sequester law really kicked in, Falling federal spending was exacerbated by continued weakness in state and local spending until 2014. What's the danger, as you see it today, that that this will happen again? The risk is pretty notable. Press reports and official statements make it clear that state and local governments as a whole have really suffered some big revenue declines. At the same time, the coronavirus relief bills from the U.S. Congress have offered only limited financial aid to state and local governments. In fact, the Republicans' proposal for the new relief bill released uh, just a few days ago contains no new general aid for states and localities, although the Democrats' proposal would provide about $1 trillion in assistance. We'll have to see how much help, if any, is ultimately provided. And at the time we're recording this, that issue is still very much up in the air. What what will be the impact, Patrick, on the markets if aid to state and local governments is insufficient? 
In the immediate term, you could see sharp spending cuts by state and local governments. Based on what we've seen in prior recessions, the bulk of those cuts would be in the investment realm. So reduced spending on new roads, bridges, buildings, and equipment. That would likely translate into reduced demand and weaker sales for many manufacturers and other businesses. You could also see big layoffs and reduced spending on contractors. Of course, that would cut into incomes in communities across the nation. So it could be a significant source of weakness for the entire economy. That feeds into the risk that the economic recovery could end up being less robust than currently expected. And that disappointment would likely be a negative for risk assets like stocks and commodities. So it goes without saying, this is an area that Confluence Investment Management will be watching closely as an influence on asset allocation strategy. Do you have a prediction, perhaps? Well, it looks like it's pretty much up in the air right now. The difference between the Republicans' proposal for state and local government aid versus the Democratic proposal is currently a trillion dollars. And the ultimate agreement could be anywhere in that range, zero to a trillion dollars. Best we can do right now is to keep an eye on the negotiations and see how things transpire before making any moves. Thank you, Patrick. You can find a link to the Confluence Investment Management Asset Allocation Weekly Report on the front page of confluenceinvestment.com. Also on that page, you can find a link to a PowerPoint presentation discussing charts which support the Confluence Outlook. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.